Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Hollywood Live Extra with Tanya Hart. I am so sure that some of you have been affected by the grounding of the Boeing 737 MAX 8. And our sincere condolences go out to the families who've loved lo- whose loved ones were recently lost on two of those planes. Well, my guest today is here to sort all of this out. My guest is Christopher Hart. He is the former chairman of the National Transportation Safety Board. He's also served as deputy director of the Air Traffic Safety Oversight Service for the FAA. Of course, that's the Federal Aviation Administration. He's a pilot. And if you're wondering why we have the same last name, it's because he's my brother-in-law, too. Chris Hart, welcome to Hollywood Live Extra. Thank you very much for having me. This is an unprecedented situation in aviation history to take a fleet of new planes out of service. How do you even explain this? Well, that's a good question because you're right. It is unprecedented. The, there have been three groundings in my professional career, and the first two were very different than this one. This is the third one of the three first two were very different. The first two involved disabling mechanical failures that the pilot could not recover after that mechanical failure. So so those were easy decisions. If you have a disabling failure that the pilot can't recover from in the moment, which means you're going to crash, then of course you want to ground the airplane. And that happened twice, once with the DC-10 in 1979 when the engine separated from the wing, and again with the Boeing 787 when the, when the lithium-ion batteries were undergoing thermal runaway and caught fire on the airplane. So you don't ever want fire on your airplane. So those yep. were easy to decide, A, when to ground it, and B, when to unground it. Because when, when do you unground a battery fire? Well, they can't stop the battery fire. So if, as soon as they figure out a way to vent the fire out of the airplane so it doesn't damage the airplane, that's good for ungrounding. Here's a very different situation. Mm-hmm. Here we have very complex automation that usually works. No automation is perfect, so sometimes it fails. So when it fails, most pilots know how to handle it. We know that now because we've we've gotten reports from pilots about this thing messed up and here's what I did to fix it. But some pilots didn't recover successfully and those were the crashes. So when you've got automation that usually works, but sometimes doesn't, and most pilots know how to handle it when it doesn't work, but some pilots don't, what's the trigger for grounding? Do you ground after the first event where a pilot doesn't understand how to handle it? Do you ground after X events in Y time period? What's the trigger for grounding? And then conversely, what's the trigger for ungrounding? Because the FAA, for example, they can only tell what the airplane has to do. They can't mandate pilot training in all these countries around the world that also grounded it. So so the, the issue here is the pilot and the airplane, not just the airplane. So the solution has to also address the pilot and the airplane. And that's going to be This is uncharted territory, so we don't know how we're going to do this yet. Wow. Well, it seems to us just regular consumers that Boeing kind of rushed to finish these planes. They seem to have gotten the planes done before the usual simulators that they kind of put together so that pilots all over the round around the globe can learn how to fly these. Is that the case? 
Well, that's a good question. That's one of the things the uh, the investigation will look into because usually there's a very robust three-step process. First, you put during the development phase before the product is even finished and ready to go out the factory, you put pilots in the simulator to have actual pilots fly this so you know what it's like and so that you've addressed the human factors issues before before it ever leaves the factory. Second, you have an extensive training program because pilots must, must, must know about the automation in their airplane, and they are very upset if they don't know about the automation and haven't been trained on it. So that's the second step is extensive training and recurrent training regarding the automation. And the third step is that there's a very robust near-miss reporting system. So if something goes wrong, then you can report about it. That goes into the system, and then the system can look at it and say, hmm, this shouldn't be happening. What do we need to do about it? So it's a very robust three-step process, and the investigation will be looking at how robustly were those processes followed in this situation because autom- no automation is ever perfect. So, so it's a challenge designing it to be human-centric, as you will, human-friendly. And these are the steps that are taken, and sometimes they work better than others. So they're never perfect, and there will always be some problems with automation and humans because humans make mistakes and humans are unpredictable. That's going to be the challenge is did they do those three steps robustly? Right. Well, apparently they didn't. I mean, I've actually read that some pilots were training for this on an iPad, you know, or or their iPhone. They just saw a couple of things. But that being said, thinking about the pilots here in the United States, um, are are the pilots here just trained better generally? I mean, you know, and I, I'm not really trying to throw any shade on any other country, but the pilots in the United States versus, say, the pilots in other countries, is there a difference in training? That's a good question. I think the investigation will look at that to some extent, too, but it's very noteworthy that while everybody was clamoring for a grounding, the pilots who are most familiar with the system and who have flown it, and many of whom have had the malfunction, weren't clamoring for a grounding. So that that speaks volumes of the, the, the complexity of the problem, that it's not just an airplane problem, it's an airplane-slash-pilot problem and the solution has to be an airplane-slash-pilot solution. We have been so lucky with airplane crashes in this country, and I have to thank you, and everybody else should know this, that you were in charge of, and I may be saying it wrong, but a zero-crash policy, I think, way back in the day, that has really put the United States and the world on a on a path where we don't see that many crashes. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, that's you're very accurate on that. I wouldn't call it luck. I would call it a lot of hard work by a lot of people throughout the world. And in, in, in the early 90s, the, the, cra- the fatal crash rate was, had been coming down wonderfully for decades for, for lots of reasons, jet engines, simulators, automation. Those had all been bringing it down. But in the early 90s, it was starting to get stuck on a plateau. And the industry was very concerned because, meanwhile, the projections were double the volume of flying in the 15 or 20 years. So pretty simple arithmetic tells you if you've got a flat stuck rate times double the volume, then the public's going to be, be seeing smoking, burning airplanes on CNN twice as often. So that really scared them into... To, generating a collaborative program called CAST, the Commercial Aviation Safety Team, that took that flat-stuck rate, which, by the way, many safety experts at the time said was about as good as it was ever going to get. They took that flat-stuck rate and reduced the the fatal crash rate by another 80% in less than 10 years. So that's because of a lot of people working together, working collaboratively to focus on the same target, which is improving safety. So they had to put their differences aside because there were a lot of differences when you ask people to collaborate. You, you may be talking to labor and management who are always harping each other, and then they've got to come and play in the sandbox together. And you, operators and manufacturers, if there's a crash, they're going to be co-defendants beating up on each other in court. They've got to come together and collaborate. So everybody who had a dog in the fight came together and collaborated as no other industry has ever done before or since to create that wonderful safety record that resulted in going from all the way from February of '09 till March of last year with not a single passenger fatality. 
that's totally amazing. I don't think people realize that, you know. So I'm and I'm so glad you were a part of that. You know, we're really proud of you for that. Well, thank um, you. All, <laughs> All of that it's, it's being up close said, because I fly too, so it's up close and personal. I know. <laughs> yes, we fly with you, so I know it is. It's very, it's very up close and personal. It has been for uh, this entire family, um, and I could get into the whole history of the Hart family with aviation. It goes way, way back, almost a hundred years, to of course James Herman Banning, who was your great uncle and was the first person to fly, uh, do the tra- first transcontinental flight by an African-American. But that's a whole other story. We won't get into that today. Um, So going forward here, first of all, you've got Boeing with all of these planes that they were about to deliver. I mean, they're making these things like, you know, it's like rabbits producing or something. And then we've got the the whole economy, the, the, the economics behind this. What does this mean for Boeing? And what about all of these airlines now that have these planes sitting there and not knowing what to do with them? Well, it's going to be a two-step process. The first step is going to be working on the airplane to make the, uh, the automation more human-centric, and that's what Boeing is doing as we speak. The second, the second aspect of it, though, is going to be improved pilot training because a lot of pilots said they didn't even know the system was on the airplane. So this, so this is something that's going to require training, and that's going to have to happen all over the world. And as you said, U.S. versus other countries, the FAA has no control over training in other countries. So this is going to be an interesting situation to see how does the FAA handle the pilot training aspect of this as they decide to unground the airplane. So it's a two-step process, and the first step's already in place. The training, I would imagine people are looking at how to get some training up and running in a hurry so that pilots will know how to deal with this malfunction before Boeing fixes the software. Oh, before Boeing fixes the software, you're saying? I would anticipate that if that- pilots know how to handle it, this would be, I mean, it, it, this is this is going to be a challenge no matter how you slice it because automation is always challenging and never perfect. So this, I, I would anticipate that if the pilots are properly trained, they can handle it very well even before the new software comes in. But the, the point of the new software is to, to make is to be a more permanent fix rather than just an interim fix. Oh, I see. So would that mean that all of the planes, because, you know, like I think Southwest has a, a lot of these planes. And, right. you know, d- just realistically, you, you know, they got planes. They can't afford to have those planes sitting there. People's, you know, their schedules were canceled when they had to all of a sudden put these things out of service. And they've got to really come up with something else. So, again, um, I mean, is Boeing, you know, are they taking a big hit for this? I know they're really working hard to try to fix but what's the, the the hit factor on all of this? I can't speak to the details of it. Their 787 was grounded too for th- three or four months after shortly after it came out because of the lithium-ion battery fires. And you know, eventually they will recover. There's going to be an, an immediate hit, certainly, but eventually I'm 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 confident that they will recover because people flew on the DC-10 again after it was fixed, and you know, after that one had the engine come off in Chicago, but people got on DC-10s again. So. This, this will re- resume normalcy eventually, but it's going to take some time. And like I say, this is new territory, so we don't know just what events are going to have to happen to satisfy the FAA that, to unground the airplane. Right. I just want our audience to know that they're listening to Hollywood Live Extra. I'm Tanya Hart. My guest today is Christopher Hart, former NTSB chair and currently uh, CEO of Hart Solutions, which specializes in improving safety in a variety of contexts and, and ways that we move around. You know, Chris, we are definitely living in an age where, um, you know, a- AI, you know, all of this stuff has come around. So everything is much more complex now. 
how right. do we how do we move forward? I mean, what's the solution here? Because people are talking about automated cars, which I know you've been dealing with. Um, most of the planes are so razzle dazzle that you know the pilots. I mean, we I've flown with you, and you can go to sleep and take a nap, and the plane's still flying. I'm a little nervous about it, but hey, <laughs> you know. So what what do we need to do here as consumers to just make sure that we are safe in all of our modes of transportation? Well, the, the, in aviation, they, they're, they are the most robust in terms of developing new automation, and that's why I'm telling the car makers they, they got a lot of lessons to learn from aviation because I'm seeing car makers making the very same automation mistakes that aviation made decades ago, and they don't seem to be learning from it. So that is, is, is unfathomable that people are not learning from the past when they, mm-hmm. these same mistakes have been made already. So, so the aviation system has a very robust process because people are so afraid of flying. So aviation gets much more media attention for an airplane that goes off the runway and and people slide down the slides and everybody survives. That gets more media attention than 100 deaths every day on the highway from from motor vehicle crashes. So so aviation has a, a very good system and other industries could learn from how aviation does it so well. Wow. Well, we want to thank you for all of the work that you've done and uh, will continue to do as as we can see. And uh, we'll be checking back in with you. Do you have any idea of what you started out by saying, who knows when these planes will be able to fly again? But do you think that they will be giving us any indication? Because the story seems to change every day. There's new information. When do you think that they might be able to get some of these up and running? That's impossible to estimate because, as I say, I don't even know what the target for ending the grounding is going to be yet. I don't know. I'm not right. sure that anybody can define it yet. And so until we yeah. even have the targets defined, we're not going to be able to put a time frame on it. Well, Chris Hart, we're glad you are there. Thank you for all of your service to the country and, and, and really walking us through many of these horrible crashes and, and some of the good stuff, too. Uh, I was there when you, of course, became chair of the NTSB, and, and uh, Sully was there. Everybody knows who Sully is, and I know he's one of your buddies, so he's another good example of what you can do in a, in a really sticky situation. <laughs> And he's also another good example of how pilots do not like having automation that they don't know about and that they haven't been trained on. Wow. Yeah, tell me a little bit about that, because he he was able to pull, to get that plane landed on the Hudson without, what, I mean, explain that to me a little bit. Well, there was some automation in his airplane that he wasn't aware of until we did our investigations, and that automation, we think, prevented him from hitting the water as softly as he intended to. He, he hoped to hit it softly enough to not actually breach the fuselage, but he hit it hard enough that it breached the fuselage and, and actually forced a vertical member through the floor into the leg of the flight attendant. She was the one who was most seriously hurt. But we wonder if he had known about this automation and could have overcome it, could he have hit the water much more softly than he did and not have the breach of the fuselage, which allowed the water to enter as rapidly as it did and things like that. So he was not a happy camper when he heard about the that automation that he didn't know about and wasn't trained on. Yeah, but boy, he he will be American hero for the rest of whatever, <laughs> for generations oh, he, he to come. He handled it spectacularly, no question about it. No question about it, just like you've handled all of this. We thank you so much. Thank you. you. We're going to call you back again because I know this is not nearly over. Uh, Thank you, and I look forward to it. 
This is Hollywood Live Extra. I'm Tanya Hart. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe to SoundCloud, Stitcher, or any other podcast directory. Make sure you download all of these because you don't want to miss any of them. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review. Again, I'm Tanya Hart. This is Hollywood Live Extra at AURN.com. Hollywood Live Extra, a product of American Urban Radio Networks. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.